Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and today we're going to be diving right back into the Advent narrative of, of Christmas. We're going to be talking from Matthew chapter number 1, uh, beginning in verse number 20, dealing with the decisions that have to be made by Joseph and, and looking at how these decisions bring forth consequences and the facts that our decisions and actions that we make in our current day are ultimately going to bring the consequences. Rather, they're good decisions which bring good consequences with them or bad decisions. And of course, you know what comes from that ultimately is going to be consequences that have to be paid. So, very exciting opportunities for us to look at the birth of our King the, the coming of, of Jesus into the world and the, all of the different things that were transpiring at that particular point of time to be able to tie it all together. Exciting, guys. So come with me. Let us enter the narrative of the advent of our Lord as we come in prayer. Father, we are thankful. We ask that blessing be upon us. We consider these things, Lord. And also at this period of time, we consider the the Feast of Dedication, Father, is recognizing a necessity in our own personal hearts to rededicate the, the mission that we have, rededicate the purpose that we have, and rededicate the desire that we have in serving you. And Lord, it'll be well with our souls. We consider these things in the blessed name of Jesus today. Amen. All right, guys, as a point of note, as of this last Sunday, we entered into, in, in the Hebrew calendar of, of holidays, we entered into the Feast of Dedication, otherwise known as Hanukkah. And just with my family, we personally began this year in the celebration of Hanukkah because of the recognition of what it means the Feast of Dedication. Now, if you were to ask yourself, what would Jesus do? Well, of course, he would celebrate the Feast of Hanukkah. The way that I know he would is because he did. It was revealed in John chapter number 10 that it was wintertime at the Feast of Dedication and Jesus was at the temple and he was teaching. And so it's understood that if, if I were to follow the, the idea of what would Jesus do, or I was to follow the way of the master idea of do what Jesus did, either way, I would celebrate Hanukkah because that's exactly what our Savior did. But in the Christian way of celebration in Hanukkah is to recognize a, a time to ensure dedication unto the Lord. It's, it's a chance for reflection to consider uh, the, the ways of dedication, the desire, the, the actual stand that we take before the Lord. And, and if during this time of reflection for the for the last well from sunday to today so that's sunday monday tuesday that's three days so there's five six seven eight yep five days left to the celebration of hanukkah is concerning the dedication of of this vessel or this temple unto the lord we have that opportunity of reflection so i just I wanted to share that as a means by which it might uh, cause interest in you to consider this. And if you want to know more about Hanukkah and the ways in which Christians can celebrate this, this festival that our Savior Jesus celebrated, 
then let me know in the comments. I'll be glad to reach out to you on a, on a personal message and, and share with you a little bit more about this particular feast, this particular holiday, as it was, uh, that that is, by the way, celebrated in the New Testament. It's the first place that you hear about Hanukkah is in the New Testament. And the reason why is because Hanukkah is is a feast, a, a holiday that actually exists between the two Testaments. And those books called the Apocryphal books, you'll find the miracle of Hanukkah and the dedication, or as I should say, the rededication of the temple that Ezra built unto the Lord as being taken captive by the Syrian people and as being desecrated by, by the Syrian religion that the Jews were being forced unto a conversion of either worshiping in the Syrian manner or being killed uh, during that period of time, 186 B.C. would be the framework of time, that the Maccabees, which if you look at apocryphal books, you'll find a first and a second Maccabees, that that this family of Maccabees, Judah's Maccabees to be, be specific, led a revolt that ultimately kicked Syria out of Jerusalem entirely, but they were able to reclaim the 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 temple and were, was able to clean it from all of its desecrations and get it all ready. But then there came a time where the preparation for for being able to hold service there at the temple, they needed to light the lamp, which was the menorah, the lampstand. And it was to be continuously burning from the time that it was lit. And the preparation for oil takes eight days to, to be able to consecrate. Seven days for the people themselves to be consecrated unto the Lord. And then the eighth day to actually make the oil and, and it be consecrated unto the Lord. So they only had enough oil that was considered consecrated for one day's burning. And so in faith, they lit the, the menorah, they lit the lampstand, and, and in faith, they, they went through the seven days process of preparing themselves and then the eighth day to make the oil. And God, who was not heard from for 200 years plus at this point of time, who, who there was no prophecy, there was no miracles, there, there was no connection to God during this period of time, allowed that menorah to remain burning from that one day's oil. It lasted eight days. And so this is why it's such a very important, uh, a very important festival or holiday uh, certainly to the Jews, but how this can also be a very important holiday for us as Christians, and in fact the reason our Savior celebrated this holiday is because the temple is no longer a building. The temple is this body that the Holy Spirit lives in. Remember Jesus, as he said in John chapter number four, that there was coming a day where you're not going to worship on the mountain where the woman at the well lived, and you're not going to worship in in Jerusalem where the temple was, but there's coming a day when those who are going to worship God are going to worship him in spirit and in truth. And Jesus was saying that it was because there was going to be a transition from that building called the temple to the individual servants of the Lord as becoming the temples that the Holy Spirit would then live in. 
And so we may find throughout the year that these vessels become polluted, that that these vessels become desecrated by a lot of the inputs of social media and a lot of these other things, and that these vessels really become a place that is no longer worthy for the Holy Spirit to live in. And we need this time in the year to really focus on uh, getting it cleaned up, get it, getting our heart right with God. Perhaps we've fallen away from the promises that we've made. Perhaps we've we've not been as dedicated to the Lord as we've been dedicated to work or dedicated to gaming. We haven't been as dedicated to our spouses as we've been dedicated to these other things. And and our spouses, that blessing of the Lord for us and, and our service in the house of God, perhaps we've been dedicated more to other things then we've been dedicated to church attendance. And so, you know, we start thinking and reflecting in these eight days about how this temple is either going to be a, a prepared vessel for the Lord or it's going to be a desecrated place that the Holy Spirit is trapped in. It's a pretty important holiday and, and one that, again, my family and I would personally celebrate as concerning the recognition that, that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us and we want to be honoring unto the Lord. And so we, we celebrate this time. Again, if you have uh, questions about it, just let me know. I'll be just so glad to, to share it with you. But aside from that little caveat and note that I would add, uh, we're going to Matthew chapter number one. So I want to encourage you to come with me uh, to Matthew chapter number one. And we're going to start reading back again at verse number 18 because we're going to talk about the birth of Jesus. And of course, keep in mind, we're, we're just in the perspective of the book of Matthew. And then I'll be going to the book of Luke. But I have to make references to the book of Luke because there's stuff in between that neither one of these guys specifically talks about that you have to smash both Matthew and Luke together to be able to get the whole picture. So uh, I'll be talking a little bit about Luke, but only in a paraphrased kind of scenario, whereas in Matthew here, we're going to go word for word. So it's very important to keep that in mind. So as we move forward, we see in verse number 18 to the end of the chapter. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this way wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, fear not to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord or spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying behold a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel which being interpreted is God with us then Joseph being raised from sleep did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife and he knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, 
and he called his name Jesus. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff packed in here, guys. Uh, just awesome. No other way to say it, but I'll call you back to where we kind of finished off yesterday, back up at verse number 18, as concerning the birth of Jesus. Now, when we think about the birth of Jesus in the, in the account of Matthew, there's a lot that's being left out. And that area that's being left out is, is fulfilled in the book of Luke in chapter 1, so that we know in Luke that there's a conversation that takes place, uh, Mary and Joseph, they, they discover each other, of course, there's an excitement that comes between the two of them, Joseph has chosen Mary to be his wife, Mary has accepted Joseph to be her husband, and things seem great. Of course, a conversation comes to pass with Mary by herself as the angel Gabriel, which is the same angel that's communicating to Joseph here, as the angel Gabriel comes and he speaks to Mary. And remember, uh, be not afraid. I'm, I'm a servant of the Lord. I've come to tell you that God has chosen you to bring forth the Messiah. Of course, Mary was shocked by this, this information. And, and ultimately, we understand that Mary is going to accept the, the purpose of her life which is to bring into this mortality, to bring into this world the very Messiah who's not just a good teacher, who's not just an excellent leader, but who is literally God enveloped in the flesh. And so, uh, she she receives the message of the angels. She says, be it unto me as the Lord wills. She said, I'm a handmaid of the Lord, so let it be, so let it be done. And of course, at that moment, there's an overshadowing of, of the Holy Spirit that comes into our womb and, and the very conception of the Holy Spirit beginning to connect the 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 literal cells together in the division to to form the body that will become Jesus. And so he is every bit God as concerning the Holy Spirit's formation of, of what will become the divinity of Christ. He's exactly the person of God and he is exactly a man of the flesh. He's he's both. It's it's fantastic. 100% man, 100% God. And, and he comes into the creation that he made. A very important point on that, too, is in John chapter number one, it says, without him was not anything made that was made. You remember that. It says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and that the word was with God, and the word was God, and, and the word was in the beginning, and, and he created everything. So, Jesus, the Son, literally entered into the creation that the Father spoke into existence and what the Son made. Again, Colossians chapter number 1 from verses 15 to 17 says that he was the, the very the very one who, who literally made everything and that it was for his good pleasure as recognized in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 10 that it was his pleasure, the pleasure of the Son, that all things were made to glorify the Father. And so we, we get this message that Mary receives and she accepts. And of course, again, in the book of Luke, you're going to find that upon the, the conception of Jesus in her womb, she knows that she is with child. Of course, there's this, this issue of 
the espousal that she has with Joseph, which they had not come together to consummate the marriage yet, only that they had promised themselves to each other for Joseph to go off and to prepare a home for his bride, that we understand that Mary would go to Zechariah and Elizabeth's house as they come to understand that Elizabeth, who was who was old, and there's no other way to say it, uh, she was old, much like Sarah and Abraham. Sarah was old, and, and Elizabeth was found to be with child. Now, the whole of Israel, but Judea in specific, and, and the temple, of course, is Zacharias, one of the priests that is offering incense unto the Lord. Everybody's thinking that this is the Messiah that's coming, that this child is going to be the child that, that is going to be Messiah because a miracle's taken place. A woman who is impossible for her to even be be able to have a child, uh, Zechariah old, rather his seed is no longer good, or her womb is closed because of her age, that it's impossible for her to be with child. And yet, between Zechariah and Elizabeth, we find that she is now six months pregnant with John, who shall be born. But of course, we understand that not only is it a miracle for, for John to be born from, from two parents that, that both should be technically dead, now, what I mean by dead is that the seed of, of Zechariah should not be functional anymore for his age. And the womb of, of Elizabeth should not be open anymore because there's that point of menopause where things just stop working. So there is that point of age, and they're well past it, in fact. But here's the miracle of John being born. It's no different a miracle than, than Mary having uh, been a virgin and yet being conceived and, and having a child as well. It's the same miracle. The only difference between John and Jesus at this point is the fact that John's father was of the earth. John's father was Zechariah. Zechariah being a sinner, when you, when you take a blue sinner and you match with a pink sinner, what's going to come out is a new sinner, okay? So, so John, as he comes out, certainly as prepared vessel to serve the Lord. He was planned by God. He was a vessel for the Lord. I mean, the will of God being done, the whole nine yards. But John is still connected to the earth as being a sinner in need of a Savior. Jesus, on the other hand, his father is God himself. And so that his father is not of this earth, but of heaven, which is recognized in 1 Corinthians 15, which is in the acknowledgement that the first Adam was of the earth and was earthy, but the second Adam was from above. So whereas John is recognized as is being a sinner because of his mother and his father, mainly his father, because remember sin entered the world by the choice of Adam that he made. So by, by his father, John is a sinner. <laughs> no, no question about it. That's the key of Jesus. Through his mother, he has the flesh and humanity of mankind so that he can pay the debt that mankind owes in the death that he faces because of the sin that Adam brought into the world. But he's capable of being able to deliver mankind from the penalty of that debt because his father 
is God. And so we find that, that he is born, though in the flesh, of sinless estate because his father is not a sinner like John's father was. His father is the sinless, perfect God, creator of all things. And so this is the difference between the miracle of Jesus and the miracle of John. It all comes down to the father. And that's that's insanely exciting. And of course, the the father in heaven is not going to bring forth his son through a, a, a woman who is not pure as concerning a woman who has already lain with a man because then she would not be considered a pure vessel for, for him to bring his son into the world. The father is only going to bring his son into the world in the purest estate, which is in, in the virgin Mary. All of these things, just priceless. I mean, you look at God's plan all the way down to the very minutia of detail, and it's just priceless. I love the way God works. And so it goes forth to tell us that, that we've got all of that background. Now we, we look back to Matthew's account here, and it says that when when. Jesus' mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph before they came together. Now, this is at that point where he's off building a home for his wife. To, she is his wife by the initial promise, but he has not come to receive her yet because he, had, he has not prepared the home, which is the custom of the Jews. It's the custom of Israel in this time. So, I say the custom of Jews, but they were actually up in Galilee at this point. They weren't down in Bethlehem. Their their relationship was born not in Judea, but up in in the area of Samaria, up in the northern regions of Galilee. So so even though both Mary and Joseph, by their lineage, they are Judeans, which would be Jews. They had spent their life growing up in the northern area of the. 10 tribes that separated with, with Jeroboam when he broke away from the kingdom with Rehoboam coming in after Solomon, his father. So, very important point to make there is that they were in the northern uh, northern kingdoms as as growing up and being getting the initial marriage. It wasn't until the taxation of Quirinius, which by the way you find in Luke, that, that they would transfer from their their place where they lived and grew up back down to Bethlehem where they were actually connected as far as lineage of tribe. So that's kind of important to understand as well. So we get to verse number 19 and the scripture tells us Joseph, her husband, being a just man. Now this is a very important point as well is because when Jesus enters into the world and God knows the scenario, just look at this for one second. God knew the character of Mary, which is why he entrusted her with bringing his son into the world. God knew the character of Mary. And God wasn't going to, to, to give this woman to just any man. God literally is the, is the one orchestrating all of these things. If you ever wanted to see the sovereignty of God in action, it's right here. Because Mary wasn't going to be given unto just any man even though there were plenty of men within the village and plenty of people that she could have no doubt been married to or espoused to. It was this Joseph. 
because God had a, the man for the woman to to bring his son into the world and and the scripture reveals that Joseph is a just man well you can understand that as God is entrusting his son to come into this world there is going to be a portion of his son that of necessity is going to be connected to humanity which means that Jesus is going to experience sin he's going to experience uh, wickedness he's going to experience in his lifetime the nature of man though he does not possess the nature of man so it's going to be necessary for for the father figure on earth that Jesus is going to have to be a, a person that is close to God a person that is honorable and, and uh, as the scripture reveals just because Jesus is going to learn what it means to be a man from the example of Joseph and so God is God can't have a drunkard being his father God wouldn't allow for for you know an adulterer or or any of these other types of sin that we get into and don't make the mistake of thinking that Joseph this Joseph that's going to be the father figure for Jesus in the flesh don't think for a second that he's perfect because he's not remember that he had parents on earth as well as Mary had parents on earth both of them are born in sin both of them are sinners you, you gotta keep that in mind Mary does not have an immaculate conception meaning that ultimately Mary's mother would would have conceived her as a virgin so that Mary would be in a perfect estate to be a virgin to conceive Jesus which is what the Catholic Church teaches and that's that is completely an error because we can we can know Mary's mother and father it, two sinners came together and produced that little sinner but understand that that Mary was faithful under the covenant of the Lord and and it is her faith that brings her into the fellowship of God's righteousness just like it was the faith of Abraham that brought Abraham into the fellowship of God's righteousness. It's the same with Mary, but it doesn't change the fact that they were sinners. And understand that Joseph, of course, we could show you Joseph's father. Remember, he was he was the son of Jacob. We we could show you that that right there with Joseph having an earthly father, that he's connected in sin as being a sinner because sin is passed from father to son, from father to daughter, throughout the lineage from Adam to now. And so we, we realize that, that Joseph, even though he is, is in the state of corruption, is being a sinner, yet God recognizes Joseph as he recognized Noah, as he recognized Abraham, as a just man. And God wasn't going to entrust the raising of his son in the flesh to just any parents. He chose Mary. He chose Joseph. And he brings them together to be the example in the flesh of his, for his only begotten son to grow and understand the nature of man from a, from a, a proper perspective. These are things that a lot of people never think about, 
or at least maybe some have, but in the narrative of the advent, the coming of Christ in his first estate, which is the estate of his flesh, how important is it that this child, above and beyond all other children that have ever been born, how important is it for this child to, to have parents in the flesh that would be of such a godly estate that they would teach their son of their of his father. Now keep in mind, Joseph knows that this child does not belong to him. This is where verse number twenty uh, or verse number nineteen and twenty come in. Is that being a just man, he doesn't want to make Mary a public example because if Joseph makes Mary a public example, then she will be considered as an adulteress and she will be considered as desecrating the marriage vows that are made, and and her whole village will stone her to death. I mean, that's what Mary's facing when she says, "Yes, Lord." I will be your servant. She's facing the reality of death at that moment because she's promising to carry the Christ child, the very Messiah, in her womb. And, and, and that is going to draw one of two conclusions. Either she has committed adultery and, and deserves death if she is to be made a public example, or uh, Joseph receives her to be his wife, which then causes the neighborhood to believe that that child in her womb belongs to Joseph before he has honored Mary in, in preparing a home and receiving her uh, to himself, which means that he would have the badge of dishonor. So either way, there's going to be a position of dishonor in the flesh. Rather, it is of Mary for her to be stoned to death or of Joseph to be shunned from the community for, for desecrating Mary, as, literally, assumedly. That's a tough situation to be in for the coming of the king, isn't it? But it comes down, and he says that he didn't want to make her a public example because he's a just man. He loves his wife. He loves this woman, but he cannot. He doesn't feel that he can be her husband anymore because she has this child in her womb. Remember, she comes back to Joseph after being with Zachariah and, and Elizabeth, but now she's got the baby bump. Now she's she's six months pregnant, and she's she's got a lot, you know, an evident pregnancy there and so the neighborhood is already talking because she comes back with this baby bump well was she out in it where elizabeth and zachariah are was she out sleeping with guys out there and now she's pregnant i mean as soon as she got to elizabeth's house she had to have met with a man and slept with him so that she would be six months pregnant so it was either then or she had slept with another guy before she went to Elizabeth's house and her family was trying to hide her by sending her to Elizabeth's house. Of course, if that was the case, then why in the world would she come back home six months pregnant? But people don't think. Or Joseph got her pregnant by sneaking out with her and, and them laying together. So Joseph got her pregnant and then she discovered it while she was at Elizabeth's house. And then she comes back and voila, she's six months pregnant. So whichever of those three scenarios you want to paint, it's not looking good in the community. Now, Joseph doesn't want her dead. 
and, and to make her a public example. So he decided that he would hide her. Now, put her away privately. Now, the, the phrase, put her away, is, is in point a divorce. He's going to leave her because he knows that it isn't his child, and the only way for him to save face in a community is to no longer be connected to her. But he doesn't want to make it a public example because that would cause the, the neighborhood to be so riled up that they would stone her, and that is legal according to the law, and he doesn't want her dead. So he's going to put her away privately. Not only is he going to leave her and have nothing more to do with her, but he's going to keep her hidden uh, in this process so that she is at least not seen by the public so that they would kill her. He's a good man. Not one that God chose, just saying. But in verse number 20, he comes down, he says, While he thought on these things, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream. And so, uh, while he thought on these things, this is one of those situations where it's called a dream, but was he even sleeping? I mean, really, you've gone through those really, 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 really tough moments in your life where you've got things that you have to decide, they have to be decided within within a day or two uh, from from the revelation of, of the choice that has to be made, and, 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 and you're, you're asked, you know, are you going to take this assignment, or are you going to leave this assignment? I have to know by tomorrow. And so it's not likely you're going to go to sleep that night, right? I mean, it's not likely you're going to, to be able to sleep at all. You might be laying there. You might even have your eyes closed, but the sleep is the farthest thing from you uh, because you're just mulling over the... the uh, all the things that go along with making that decision, all of the consequences of accepting the decision or of rejecting the, the decision. So this is where I see Joseph in this moment because, you know, I've got I've to hide Mary, but I, I can't be with Mary. I've got to divorce her, but if I make it public, they're going to kill her and I don't want her dead, but I can't be with her because she's she's cheated on me. I, what do I do? This, this is what's happening in Joseph's heart, no doubt. And he's, he's trying to process what to do, and God is going to intervene. And, and God always will intervene, by the way, if you give him an opportunity. And, and the angel of the Lord appears unto Joseph in a dream. And this is the conversation. Son of David, which, by the way, lets you know the connection of Joseph's line to the king, right? This is where Joseph is connected and where Jesus through his father would be connected to be the king uh, of Israel. And so he says, do not take, uh, do not fear to take Mary to be your wife. In other words, the angel saying, look moron, this woman is the woman for you. Take her to be your wife. The reason the angel says, that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Hey, the child that's going to be born through Mary is God's son. Look what I'm entrusting you with. This is, this is the, the side notes. This is the peripheral of what this angel is revealing to Joseph. Look, the father says, the father in heaven, look at what I'm entrusting you with and being the guardian of my son. 
I have chosen you to protect my son in this earth, to protect my son's mother in this earth. I've chosen you, Joseph, for the purpose of being the guardian of, of that which is most precious to me, my only begotten. Oh, boy, that kind of changes things, doesn't it? I've chosen you, Joseph, to be my only begotten son's example of what it means to be in the earth, to be of the flesh as a man, to know what it means to be a man, just as I have chosen Mary to show my son what it means to, to be a woman, the connection of the flesh, because I know you. I know your character. I have trusted you. Oh, <laughs> try being Joseph at that moment. The angel goes on to explain to Joseph in verse number 21, your wife is going to bring forth a son and you, by the way, because it has to be Joseph, keep in mind that, 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 that the heavens do not open up and the dove does not land upon the baby Jesus and a voice come from heaven proclaiming to all who are present, his name shall be Jesus. Didn't happen that way. That didn't happen until the baptism of Jesus at, at his 30th year of age for the preparation of his ministry. That, that didn't happen at all. So, so you got to keep in mind that that this is a responsibility that Joseph has because everybody at the temple, everybody at the birth of, of this baby is going to be looking at Joseph to name this child. So God is explaining to Joseph what he's going to need to do through this angel so that he can be faithful and so that his son will be recognized in the world. And so this angel said, she, Mary, your wife, is going to bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus. Now, in the Hebrew text, the scriptures written, the New Testament written in Hebrew, which is called the Berit Hadashah, in the New Testament, this name is not Jesus in all capitals. This name is Yeshua. Yeshua. And what the word Yeshua means, and by the way, it's written hundreds in, of places in the Old Testament, because everywhere in English that you read in the Old Testament, the word salvation, you see the name Yeshua. And that's exactly what his name means, salvation. And what is the definition of his name after the colon in verse number 21? For he shall save his people from their sins. So his name, Jesus, is the name that means salvation. Yeshua. So it's really exciting is that God says salvation is coming. And Joseph, you're the one that's going to, to, to help raise salvation in the world. You, you are ultimately going to be the light, that, that the principal light that's going to bring up salvation to everyone around you. He says, he says Mary is going to bring salvation into the world and together as one in in salvation, you're going to, to raise salvation. I mean, it's just glorious, isn't it? What an advent. And he, he says, you shall name him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And of course, uh, verses 22 and 23 is the recognition of Isaiah chapter number 7. 
which would be the the place. Behold, a virgin shall be with child. Remember, he said, ask anything of me. And Ahaz uh, said, no way, I'm not going to tempt the Lord. And God said, you're you're I told you to ask me, and now you're going to burden me with not asking? He says, look, I'm going to give you a sign. He says, a virgin shall be with child and bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, keep in mind, this is paraphrased from Matthew to explain the the quotation of Isaiah chapter number 7, but that's where it's at, uh, which is interpreted God with us. God is coming down. And, and you better get ready, Joseph. God's coming down. And you better get ready, Mary. God's coming down. Now, uh, Joseph being raised from his sleep, uh, I don't think he was really sleeping anyways. I think that his eyes were closed and he might have been laying down, but I'm pretty sure his brain was racked with so many things that he was thinking about that when the angel uh, inter- intervened in that in that thought process that, that he was ready to go. So the angel raised him from his sleep, and he did exactly what the Lord said. There's that just man, Joseph. He did exactly what God told him to do. He took Mary to be his wife. And by the way, he had not finished a home for her, but he took her to be his wife, even though he hadn't finished a home. Why? Well, oddly enough, we're going to discover that at the taxation that they wouldn't have had a home there in Galilee anyways, because they'd have to pack up and leave and go 70 miles south to Bethlehem. So God knows what he's doing. Just, just follow the Lord. God knows exactly what he's doing with his purpose and his plan. Just follow Jesus. Follow the Lord. And he'll make it all work. And the scripture reveals in 25, it says, He knew her not. Now, that word knew right here in Matthew 125 is the same exact word as I'm studying right now for our fourth session of Genesis in, in our Sunday school here at Martin as, as when you come into Genesis chapter 4 and it says, Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived and bare a son. This word new is the same. It It is of a sexual connotation of the intimacy of a man and a woman coming together for the purpose of bringing forth children into the world in sexual relationship, which, by the way, is honorable in the bed not defiled between a husband and a wife. Anything else, if it be before marriage, is considered fornication before the Lord, and it's a sin. After marriage, it's considered adultery, and it's a sin. The only proper communication, the only proper intimacy that exists, according to the Lord, is the relationship of a husband and a wife in the purity of marriage. Just saying, it's the Bible. So get your heart right, get your life right, and get on task. So he says, he knew her not because she was already with child, and so he kept himself from from her, even though she's his wife, and that is something that is now allowable and acceptable. But he knows the purity of the of the one who is in her womb and the necessity of the purity of her vessel as being a vessel of the Lord. And so he didn't touch her. He didn't come together with her in that way until she had brought forth her, not his, her firstborn son, a God's only begotten, and her firstborn. The reason why it says her firstborn is because you're going to find that she had several children after Jesus was born with Joseph. She had several children. In fact, James 
is one of the children, the book of James. Jude is one of the children. His name was Judah, but Jude, the book of Jude, is another one of the children. He, they had daughters, Joseph and Mary. Uh, there, there were several children that came after the birth of Jesus. So it is her firstborn son, the firstborn son of all of creation, but it's God's only begotten son. Very important. And he, Joseph, called his name Jesus. And that is the entrance of the king. Oh, that is so powerful. It is so fantastic. I absolutely love this time of year. It, it literally is just a treasure of my soul this time of year. Uh, and, and, and I praise the Lord for it. And here uh, tomorrow... We will look at the visit of the wise men, and we'll really discover a few things about this visit of the wise men as we move over to Matthew chapter number 2. And we, we're really going to spend some time on those guys because in our nativity, we get it all wrong. Our nativity is just completely wrong. We, it's embarrassing how wrong our, our, our nativity scenes often are because we'll have... We'll have Jesus in a manger, and we'll have a little barn, and we'll have some animals, which none of that's necessarily referred to in the Scripture, but fair enough. I mean, rather a barn or a cave or whatever, there might have been animals there. But we're going to have those shepherds, and the shepherds were there. That is accurate. But then we're going to have these, these wise men there also, and that's totally inaccurate. But we'll see that tomorrow. And I don't want to belabor the point because this will get in tomorrow. So, May God be blessed to you this day as you consider these, these things that we talked about concerning the coming of our King. And in this season of Advent, as we praise the Lord and, and the blessing of, of Jesus' birth and coming, that, that we really think about the realities of what was happening in that time so that we can see the beauty of what God had done for us in this time. Father, we thank you, praise you, asking your blessing upon our hearts as we consider these things today. And, and Lord, guide us, and it will be well with our soul in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you, keep you, cause his face to shine upon you. And I'll catch you tomorrow for Matthew chapter number 2 as we continue through the narrative of the advent of our King. Amen. <laughs>